This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday, September 17th, and today we are continuing our division previews by looking at some of the key fantasy storylines from the Central Division. Last week it was the Atlantic, so check that out if you missed it. Today, though, we will be talking Bucks, Pacers, Bulls, Cavs, and Pistons with some of our favorite draft targets and much more coming up in just a second. As we welcome in everyone listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube, I'm joined by Ryan Knauss, Raphael Johnson, Steve Alexander. Guys, what's going on? Who's uh, Who's got something interesting to report? It's the middle of September. We're a month away from the season. Someone, uh, anyone? Any- Anyone got anything going on? I'm uh, I'm I'm sitting here. If you guys hear me yawning during the podcast, it's because I barely slept last night because I dropped a ceramic plate on my foot and my toe may or may not be broken. No, it's currently in a in an ice bath under my desk as I record this. <laughs> so, wow! Just a heads up, or if I faint at my desk, that's why. Oh no! Which toe? My right big toe. Not convenient for chasing around uh, twin toddlers. I'll say that. Would you say that you're a accident prone person, Ryan? Like, are you often dropping things like that? Yes. Yeah, I would. I would put myself in the category of accident prone. Not a good uh, label to affix to oneself, but there it is. I have a thing where when I have a beverage in my hand, as Steve knows, if you listen to podcasts, if you've been listening for multiple years, you know, I'm, I'm prone to spilling beverages. I don't really drop anything else. But like, if there's a beverage in my hand, there's a, like a 12% chance it's going to go flying. And I'm not talking about like casually tipped over. I'm talking about full just like beverage heave might happen. <laughs> so back in a former life, when I used to occasionally go to a bar, it was always kind of scary because I would sometimes just like hand opens, beer drops to floor. Like, I don't know why it happened. I'm kind of upset that we were not doing video podcast when you... <laughs> dumped whatever that was all over your computer while we were live yeah. on the air it was the best oh god here we here we go oh i know as matt says that he I picks know. up a giant Nervous. iced coffee Caffeine and takes a swig. helps you be less twitchy right like that's a good thing it's hard to watch so i hear okay. yeah well we've got uh we got five teams to talk about here. We're not going to hit every storyline for all these teams, but we're going to kind of zero in on some that stand out. So we're going to start with the Bucks, and we will talk about their big three in a second. But first, in a recent mock draft for NBC Sports Edge Draft Guide, I want to report that I got Brooke Lopez at 125th overall. Um, and this is a guy who got 1.43s and 1.5 blocks last year, played in 70 out of 72 games. We know the limitations with Brooke Lopez. It's not thrilling or anything, but 125 seems low. And I know this sounds like I'm bragging about the pick, but I want to say also, Ryan suggested this question. So I did not set this up to brag. And with all of that said, Raph, what are your thoughts on, on Brooke Lopez? Um, at 125, he's a flat out steal. Like there's no way he should be available that late in the drafts. Like his first two seasons yeah. in Milwaukee, he's a top 50 player in nine cat. Last year, he was Eighth round values, you're talking about 80 to 90 in that range. Even then, I, I think he's a middle round guy. I think, I don't know about fifth round, but I think 
the sixth, you start to look for him. The seventh or eighth is when I would be willing to to go ahead and grab him off the draft board because he's going to give you some three-point shooting. He can give you some blocks. I mean, he's not a high-level shot blocker, but he can give you some production there. Decent rebounder. Um, I think he's in a – I wouldn't say it's a difficult spot where you have three ball-dominant guys who have to get theirs first and, and Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, but – He's still in a position where he can be an adequate producer for you at the center position. So for me, it's seventh or eighth round. You get him 125. I think there may need to be some conversations within your league about how much people are paying attention. <laughs> Ryan was there. I think I was there too. So yeah, I guess we're calling it. <laughs> okay. Out, but, so know. the raffle. The conversation is happening now. The con- yeah. That conversation is happening now. Yes. I, I think honestly, Brooke Lopez, it, is pretty boring and his value is tethered so heavily to blocks that when you have him on your fantasy team, it's like Mm -hmm. nothing much is happening most games. Uh, You know, you look at the box score, pretty boring, two blocks, that's the bedrock of his value. And you think, uh, all right. So he's not someone that ends up targeted. And I think what happened in our draft, Matt, is you get in an industry league and a lot of, because there was a lot of experts, different sites, our site, et cetera. Everyone's kind of targeting those hype guys, right? Especially at this stage in the season. We're all kind of planting our flags. These are our guys. These are the upside guys, breakout candidates. So it's reach, reach after reach. And a lot of those veterans, and Matt, I give you credit because I feel like you execute this strategy well. You just take value picks. I think last year you had Chris Paul in like every draft because no one was touching him until 40, 50. Uh, So there's, you know, those solid but, quote, boring veterans are there to be had. And I think Brooke Lopez is a perfect example. Well, one thing I I have to say before I get into Brooke Lopez is Roth's uh, lawn maintenance crew they are incredibly consistent. Uh, they're always there at the same time. They're always in the exact same spot doing the exact same thing every week, week after week. They just, they just get it done. And I got to say, man, prop, props to those guys. That's a good crew. They're as consistent that's, as Brooke Lopez. Steve. That's, right. that's a great segue into Brooke Lopez. Is there a, a less, what, what's the term? Is there Spicy? a less sexy, fantasy pick than Brooke Lopez. I, I can't really think of one. Um, there's nothing exciting about him. There's not, there's no, nobody goes into their draft. Like, man, I feel like if I come out of this thing with <laughs> Brooke Lopez in the ninth round as my second center, it's going to be a good year. But I mean, that's sort of where we are. I mean, he, he can help your fantasy team. He's not going to hurt it anywhere. Um, it's all about the blocks. Like Ryan said, but I mean, Congratulations on getting getting him at one twenty five, but I I doubt you were doing any cartwheels uh, when that happened. Well, you weren't there, so you don't know. I was cartwheeling all over the place. I was absolutely thrilled. I mean, he's just the most easily forgotten guy. Yeah, we we've covered it. So, following up on the Bucks' big three, uh, are we worried, Steve, about Milwaukee resting Giannis, Holiday, and Middleton? Some coming off that title run for some reason. For me, that answer is kind of no. I, it just this hasn't been a team under Mike Budenholzer that has ever looked like they want to punt the regular season. They look like they're trying to rack up as many regular season wins as they can. I don't really worry about it, but I might my my thinking might be flawed there. What do you guys think? Start with you, Steve. I'm not really worried about that. I'm I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about Giannis. Like if his knee acts up at all, they're not going to hesitate to rest him as much as they they can. So I'm I I could see Giannis getting some. 
load management treatment for for some reason like you i'm not worried about drew or middleton at all i'm with you the load management for Giannis, and obviously the slightest indication especially with his knee which has flared up a little bit in the past and the the bucks have done a good job of tamping down his minutes giving him rest days as needed that kind of thing but i will defer to beat writer name eric nem or eric neem i name. apologize for not knowing name. how to pronounce it what was that name um in The Athletic, he wrote, referring to Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, I would have to guess the Bucks give them a few more rest days earlier in the season than other players. While it has often been something we've seen reserved for Antetokounmpo early in the season, it seems this year would be a time that the Bucks might try the strategy with Holiday and Middleton. So there is a voice of authority, a, a writer who follows the team, knows the ins and outs, etc., uh, basically saying, yes, it's very likely that the Bucks will give Holiday and Middleton those rest days that we've seen for Giannis in the past. Is it enough for me to bump him down or those players down a full round? Maybe. Yeah. So maybe, you know, give him a, a one round discount and call it good. I would agree with uh, Eric Name's viewpoint. And what I haven't heard mentioned it thus far is that remember that Chris and Drew are both coming off an Olympic run as well. Mm hmm. So I think that's why I would lean more towards those two being, having their minutes managed or having the occasional load management game off early in the season just because, you know, you, you go on that title run in like a really off season with regard to the calendar. Even though there are 10 fewer regular season games, it wasn't like a routine season by any stretch. Um, then you have the deep playoff run. Then you have the Olympics where you're flying – Eight, what is it, like an 18-hour time difference or something like that, like less than two days removed from completing your season. So all of that comes into play. I think they're going to try to get those guys some extra rest. And I think I'm with Ryan. I think that may I may give them a one-round discount um, for that reason. Okay, next up is the Pacers, who recently got the news or released the news that TJ Warren is still recovering from the stress fracture in his foot, and he is out indefinitely. Uh, we haven't seen Warren since December of last year. I'm sure Steve is going to say it feels like we haven't seen him in about 10 years. He played in just four games last season, all at the start of the season. Uh, Raph, is it wrong that when I hear this news, I can only think of two words, and those two words are Chris Duarte? It's not wrong, but I don't, I really, man, I think the question of who Warren's absence is going to impact is a really difficult one because remember, he only played in four games last season. Right. So I, I kind of think we kind of know what these guys are as individual pieces. Now, the, the question is, how does Rick Carlisle use them? You get a healthy Miles Turner back. Um, he, I don't think he'll be a, an extremely high usage guy offensively. But how is Rick Carlisle going to use him? Is he going to have him play more on the perimeter to give DeMontis Sabonis room? Um, and you've got the Karis LeVert factor, Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think if anyone's going to be impacted by Warren's absence, it would be Brogdon and LeVert just because they have a little, a little more usage on the perimeter there. But I don't think there's going to be a huge difference. You know, Maybe a Justin Holiday. Yeah, I know he was a fixture in a starting lineup, but he doesn't give you a lot in terms of high-level fantasy production. Maybe you get him as a top 100 guy, but I don't see anyone in their right mind drafting him within the top 100. Raph mentioned all of the pertinent names, I think. You know, Levert, Brogdon, Justin Holiday, even Chris Duarte. And that's what leads me to... You know, I struggle to be enthusiastic about any of these guys really, really benefiting from Warren being out. 
plus the fact that we have a new coach coming in in Carlisle, so we don't even quite know what it's going to look like. We can't really refer to last season, uh, and obviously in the case of Duarte. Um, you know, but Warren, one thing that scares me a little bit is Warren's foot is healing slowly, but he's due back at some point. So if you suddenly bump up Lavert, you know, quite a bit or draft Holiday as a flyer or Duarte for that matter, and then Warren comes back mid-season and suddenly that draft pick you spent no longer looks very good. So I'm, I'm hesitant for that reason to really bump up anyone because of this news. I'm pretty excited about Karis Levert, honestly. I think he's going to have a monster year. And I've got a frog in my throat right now. <laughs> Speech may be a little, a little bit of a struggle, but I think Karis Levert's going to be really good. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon should be very good. It's hard to believe Miles Turner was a second round value last year, but he, he was mm-hmm. um, a lot of threes, a lot of blocks, uh, decent stats. Sabonis is, is really, really good. So I don't know how much they're even going to really miss TJ Warren. Um, but I think it does open the door for rookie Chris Duarte to play uh, some decent minutes. And, and really, I think as far as the big winner goes, it's probably Justin Holiday. Um, by the way, Lavert, the aforementioned Lavert, in the aforementioned mock draft where Raph and Ryan refused to even look Brooke Lopez's way. Raph, you got Karis Lavert, sixty first overall. I remember thinking, man, that's that's a pretty good spot to get Karis Lavert. He won't be lasting that long in most leagues. Or at least he shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But can I can I offer up a slight bone to pick with Yahoo here? Um They've only given Chris Duarte shooting guard uh, eligibility. I think he should be given point guard eligibility as well, just because of the role he played in college. Obviously, Mm -hmm. college and the NBA are different things, but I think he's a guy that you could see him on the ball a little bit, maybe in that second unit. Obviously, they've got TJ McConnell, who was a fantasy breakthrough last season. Um, But still, I think Duarte is a guy, I think if anyone at Yahoo's listening, if you can hook my man up, give him, you know, that point guard eligibility would be appreciated. Do they add eligibilities as the season goes? I can't remember. They do, but I believe it's five five starts at a given position okay. lead to eligibility. So for reserve players, it tends to be very difficult. I feel like eligibility, it's generally quite generous on Yahoo Fantasy Basketball. Like a ton of guys have multiple position eligibility. Um I was just looking to see where I got TJ McConnell in that mock draft because it was late and I was pleased about it, but now I can't find him. So we're going to move to Chicago. We have talked plenty about our appreciation of, or at least I have, and high expectations for Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic. So let's talk about another key part of this Bulls team, one of their big offseason additions along with Lonzo Ball. That's DeMar DeRozan. In the draft guide, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, we have him ranked in the late 50s or early 60s depending on the format. Is that right? Yep, that is that is correct. And it was your idea to ask about DeRozan, so that's why I'm asking you that. Um, so he's coming off a season of 21.6 points, 4.2 boards, 6.9 assists. That's a career high. That's all good, obviously. On the downside, though, we're looking at a guy who last year had a combined 1.4 steals, blocks, and threes. That's 0.9 steals, 0.2 blocks, 0.3 threes. That is not fun. So Steve... I'm sorry, you get the DeRozan question. I know you're excited about this. You can hardly contain yourself. Is 50s, late 50s, or early 60s too low for DeRozan? Put yourself in the mind of someone who might draft DeRozan, Steve. I'm going to need you to kind of role play here. What are your thoughts? 
that feels about right to me. He's a fourth round player last year in San Antonio. Um, he has more weapons around him in Chicago. And really, I mean, did you guys set out to do a podcast today about the most boring fantasy players we could find? Because Brooke Lopez and DeMar DeRozan, DeRozan's consistent, uh, but there's just not, I mean, like the combined, what you, the, the block steals and threes that you mentioned, like that's just, that's rough, but he's going to score points. He's going to shoot it well. Um, he's not going to hurt you anywhere. And he's, he's going to return, you know, fifth or sixth round value, which is probably where you should take him. I don't think, I don't think taking DeMar DeRozan in the fourth or even fifth round is a good idea. I think you wait until six. So 60s feels good to you, but you wouldn't draft him is the takeaway. No, I would draft him in the in the 60s. Oh, you would? Okay. Just for, yeah, because you're right. He's so, so incredibly scoring dependent, and that's what kind of makes me nervous. You mentioned the lack of supporting stats, and then my biggest question is, right, he's coming off a season with 6.9 dimes, you said? Yeah, 6.9. And I think he was also a career high in free throw percentage at 88% on over seven attempts. Those are the numbers that stick to me. Because I don't, you know, if you draft him, you're not relying on him for three-pointers. You're not expecting suddenly the floodgates will open for some reason. Um, but you need him to maintain, you know, very much above average dimes and elite impact at the free throw line. I still think he'll get there a lot. And he's, you know, an excellent free throw shooter. But with his volume likely coming down a little bit next to Levine and next to Vooch, I don't see him maintaining that level of workload we saw with the Spurs. So, you know, even 60, you know, it feels safe, I guess, but not something I'm eager to do. So if someone else drafts Darazin even at 60, 65, I'm happy to see him go off the board. I don't think I'd take him within the top 60 personally. Um, and, and Ryan brought up the assist. That's my biggest concern because now you've got Lonzo Ball. You've got Alex Caruso as well. I'm sure there will be times where DeRozan has the ball in his hands as a playmaker. But I think he's going to take a major hit compared to what it was in San Antonio. And when you're talking about a guy who doesn't give you much in the defensive stats or three-point numbers, that's a problem. That's a bigger problem than it would be for some other players that you can probably get in that range to about 50 or 60 or so. So I personally wouldn't take him. Like if he's available at 70, then I would I would definitely go ahead and grab him. But before that, if someone else were to take him, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it personally. In the mock draft that I keep referencing, he went 78th, one pick after a team called Straup took Cade Cunningham. So just a little little insight there for you that's all i gotta say that's pretty late yeah for derozan yeah i was kind of surprised to see Cade cunningham going 77th separately now did you do cartwheels when you got Cade cunningham steve i did cartwheels after every single pick so i always do a cartwheel after just just happy to be there just happy to be making a pick so happy that i do a cartwheel that's my that's my custom i think jalen green went in the sixth round in that draft i'm not mistaken Jalen Green. Let's see. Nah, you might be mistaken. Hold on. Okay. I'm looking to see. Is this as good? Oh, he did. Raph? Yeah, You're not mistaken. Yeah. He went 70th. There you go. Yahoo didn't give him a, Yahoo didn't give him a photo yet, so I scrolled past him. Yeah, if you, you get in a league where someone's gonna reach on a rookie early, that can kind of impact how other rookies go. Because you don't really want to miss out because there aren't gonna be too many that give you high value fantasy wise 
Right. Hey, if our if our friends at Yahoo are listening, let's give Jalen Green a photo, right? While we're at it. <laughs> yes, please. Cade Cunningham too. Okay. Two more teams to hit in the Central, and next it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a somewhat fascinating team, to me at least, because the starting lineup is just wildly young. The oldest guy in their projected starting five, assuming you project Evan Mobley as a starter, is Jared Allen at 23 years old. You have Darius Garland, 21, Colin Sexton, 22, Isaac Okoro, 20, and Evan Mobley, 19. Ryan, looking at these guys and their ADPs, or where we expect them to go, who are you most excited to draft at or near the projected ranking ADP among these Cavs. I'm going to go with Darius Garland. And I know our, our colleague Jared Johnson seems quite low on him, but I'm not. Uh, you know, I think he's well positioned. The The Rubio acquisition is probably going to cause Garland to slide in drafts. People look at that and think, I think Steve even floated the idea of a true position battle in Cleveland at point guard. I don't see that at all. And I think Garland is well positioned. Rubio is kind of there as a, you know, veteran steward of the second unit and a locker room type guy. And what really sells me, look at Garland's splits in April. He averaged 20, 20.5 points, almost three boards, seven and a half dimes, one and a half steals, two and a half threes, while shooting 48% from the field and 88% from the line. Just stellar numbers across the board. We've just started to see what he's capable of. And he, I mean, he could be the next upper tier point guard with a kind of breakout on the horizon. So I'll take that upside at his ADP, which is pretty modest. I think it's in the 60s, maybe low 70s, something like that. Um, he would be my target. I, you know, there are other players you can make a case for. I like a Coro as a flyer, but you asked for one player. So there's my one. Jared Allen breaks out. I kind of feel like it might be. Um, he didn't. He never got enough minutes when he was in Brooklyn. And, you know, you look at the other centers and really other big men on the Cavaliers, and he is by far and away the best of the bunch, him and Evan Mobley. But uh, I just feel like Jared Allen's going to play a ton of minutes this year. He's young. He's, he's going to – I think he's going to be a, a pretty fun – center to own center to have on your roster in fantasy. He was an eighth round guy last year. I don't know what his ADP is uh, right now. Do you, does anyone keep talking and I'll find out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say. I really liked Jared Allen this year. Raph, who's your choice among these calves? I'm, I'm a Steve. I'm going with Jared Allen because I think we've seen some actual production from him. I know Garland's had a really good end of season, but I'm going with Allen. I think I would stay away from Mobley personally. Like when, when they drafted him, I was pretty excited about it. I thought, you know, maybe they can try to work something out where he plays alongside Allen for extended stretches and get some time at the four. But once they pulled off that sign and trade to get Lowry Markin, and that's, that's when I hopped off the Mobley bandwagon. Because I don't <laughs> think you pay a guy, what, $67 million for him to, to come off the bench. You know, so I'm sure they could bring Markkinen off the bench, but I just think at this point in Mobley's development, they may see him more as a backup five as he continues to develop those perimeter skills, and that's going to hurt his fantasy value. So give me Jared Allen all day. I think Okoro's in a tough spot playing alongside Garland and Sexton just because of how ball-dominant those two are. So, yeah, I'm going with Allen and anyone else. If I get him late, cool. If not, that's cool as well. 
Jared Allen, by the way, 67 is his ADP, so not not a big discount there. Judging by this mock draft, uh, Colin Sexton went 80th. I mean, if he's if he's available around there, I think that's the guy I'm taking. I mean, I know he's been in trade rumors and, and all of that. Raph just winced at me. But, I mean, what don't you like, Raph? I mean, it's a guy who his shooting isn't an issue, right? He shot 48 from the field. 82 from the line, 24 points per game, four and a half dimes, 1.6 threes. I mean, turnovers are a little high, only one steal per game. But other than that, there's plenty to like about his stat line. What uh, What are you down on about Sexton? I just don't like the fit between him and Garland. And I know Sexton put up good numbers last season, but I, I, I'm concerned here. Like The way that some people are concerned about Dennis Schroeder deciding that it's Dennis time, as he tries to make that money back this season. I'm a bit worried about Sexton going through that as well in the contract year. Um, so, I don't know, man. I, I hope I hope he does. I, if he's on my fantasy yeah. team, I want him deciding it's Colin time. That, that's what I want. Even if the efficiency dips? Well, no, I'd prefer good efficiency and Colin time. Yeah, there are some guys that I'd prefer not to get into feels like leather mode where they're just putting up anything. And he's one of those guys. So, yeah, I'm not really sold on him fantasy wise. I think Ryan and I might, there might be a jersey bet brewing uh, surrounding Ricky Rubio. Oh, okay. Really? I mean, I just don't think Rubio's going to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody play. I, I think he's, I think he's going to play. A decent number of minutes and i know that we're about developing the guards of the future there but he had that monster olympic performance and he's got a lot of a lot of gas left in the tank i don't think rubio's done quite yet does this need a little more time to percolate or are we ready to throw something down right now no i think we need to see i need think we need figure to, out what that looks like give it a little more time yeah, get your get your attorneys on the phone, you know, hash out some negotiations and come back to us with some raw numbers, okay? Now, uh, there is a rule that any jersey bet has to be made live on the podcast. Is that correct? I mean, yes. Yes. That's not written, but yes, that's the rule. Sounds like a good one. Okay, the last team we're going to hit is the Detroit Pistons. Raph, we'll start here in your draft guide, 10 guys to reach for column, I believe, if Ryan has uh, led me correctly to the truth whatever that means you touted uh, one kelly olenic as one of 10 guys to reach for so let's start there we know that olenic was awesome down the stretch for the rockets last year so make the case for him now that he's in detroit his role is going to be completely different that much we know he's going to back up isaiah stewart um they moved mason Plumley out of there um because he and stewart were pretty similar players in terms of how they were being used so only need one of those guys. Olenek's kind of a change of pace. He can give you some three-point shooting. Um, not going to be a high-level defensive guy. But I do believe because of the difference in his skill set in comparison to Stewart, there is a path to fantasy relevance. That's why I have him in that column in a draft guy. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be a top 100 player, although we have seen some backup centers in the past do that. Um, if he were to do that, you're kind of banking on his three-point production, kind of matching the defensive production of, say, a New Orleans Noel, what he was able to do his last season in Oklahoma City. But I think as a late-round flyer, 
I definitely think that Kelly Olenek is a guy that should easily be on people's draft radars. I'm going to have to sort of disagree. Um, no, I, I, I love <laughs> Olenek last year. Um, you guys know my feelings about Kelly Olenek. I've, I've always sort of been a Olenek guy. I just think people are going to overdraft him this year based on what he did last year. And, you know, I, I, if I, if Stewart or Jeremy Grant gets hurt, then it could be on back on for Kelly Olenek. But if they stay healthy, I just think he's going to, I just think it's going to be very far hard for him to match what he did last year. Ryan, as we get your thoughts on Olenek, I mean, do you feel, do you agree with the assessment that Olenek is going to back up Stewart? I'm not saying Raph is necessarily wrong, but I just am a little worried about Olenek putting a big dent in Stewart. So maybe you could talk about both guys here as you talk about Olenek. Sure. Uh, I'm not worried about that. I think Stewart is the clear-cut kind of franchise center going forward. Uh, He was fantastic down the stretch last year. He made an all-rookie team. You know, he's one of the building blocks that they're going to feature. So I'm not worried about Stewart's role. I've got him as a top 60 guy. You know, if I need, I know Jared is doing his best to hype up beef stew as well and uh, get his ADP into the 50s. Fortunately, it's not there yet. Um, But that's probably where he'll end up because he's in a great position with solid minutes and he has a good statistical profile on a young team. So. Uh, that looks good for him. As far as Olenek, yeah, I'm reasonably high on him. I think a top 100 finish is, is quite reasonable because as I think Steve alluded to, if not said outright, he doesn't need a ton of minutes. And the Pistons' frontcourt depth is like non-existent. They have Isaiah Stewart and Jeremy Grant as the presumptive starting frontcourt backed up by Olenek and Trey Lyles. Uh, you know, Dumbuya is out of town, etc. So not a lot of depth there. Olenek can you know, functionally play multiple positions in the front court. They need his court stretching ability. I think there's a possibility we see him with some minutes alongside Stewart because uh, even Stewart was hitting threes at the end of last season. So that's, you know, we'll see how it looks defensively, but um, that's a possibility. So yeah, I think there is a clear path to 30 minutes a game. We know what he can do per minute. So I'm not at all against a, a sort of late round flyer, if you will, on Olenek. Where did he go in your all's draft? While Matt's looking that up, I'll say that his ADP, probably because of where Yahoo just put him in the pre-ranks, which was 124, uh, his ADP is right around that range at 120. So pretty pretty low, all things. 102 in the mock draft for Kelly Olenek. I mean, to me, that that feels that feels like a good value pick. Like, I don't think you can lose getting Olenek at 100. You know, I, I just worry that people are going to, gonna draft him in like round six and i, I right. think that's that's too much <laughs> to, to that end like if you do that that's hey, that's on you man it is 27 27 games for houston down a stretch 19 points eight and a half boards four assists 1.4 steals 0.6 blocks 1.83 is he was just phenomenal and you know you're not getting anything close to that unless someone gets hurt in that front court and then suddenly you may have Houston Kelly back in your life. So it's uh, it's kind of like a safe, a, a decently high floor pick with some upside if someone gets hurt, I think. Also, the Sekou Dumboya era over in Detroit. Oh, yeah. What an era it was. <laughs> did it ever start? <laughs> no, it did not, Steve. Yeah, like just as it seemed to get started, 
they changed front offices. So yeah, that's right. He was the last remnant from the previous regime. He didn't play well in Vegas, so they they got him out of there. Yeah, that was amazing. When he was traded to the Nets, he was the most tenured player on the Pistons roster. Ah, that is how yeah. fast that that turnover happened. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Okay, that is the end of our central preview, and that is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll be back here on Monday and Friday next week. Monday, I believe the aforementioned Jared Johnson is going to be here to defend the fantasy value of John Morant. So we're looking forward to that. And next Friday, it is our preview of the Southeast Division. So thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Ryan, Raf, Steve, thanks to all of you guys as well. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Dietz & Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.